When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode of Bookmarked is brought to you by Libro FM. Get two books for the price of one with your first month of membership using the code BOOKSTACKED. Again, use promo code BOOKSTACKED when you start your membership at Libro.fm. Or check the show notes for a quick link to get started. Offer only valid for new members in the US and Canada. My name is Chelsea Regan, and welcome to the Bookmark Podcast. Today, I'll be talking to author Heather Kamins about her debut novel, The Moth Girl. The story of chronic disease is like nothing I've read before. Anna's story is both fantastical and deeply relatable in equal measure, telling a necessary truth in an absolutely brilliant way. I am really glad I have the chance to ask Heather about it and to have her here on the podcast. So without further ado, let's get started. Hey, Heather, thanks so much for chatting with me today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so happy to be here. Absolutely. So we always like to get started with if you could just give our listeners a brief introduction to you and to your debut book. Sure. So I write fiction for young adults and adults, and I really love both reading and writing work that sort of falls in between literary and other genres like fantasy and sci-fi. So that's a big thing in the moth girl. It's a very real except it has some pretty substantial fantastical elements in it. And to give you an intro to the book, the moth girl is the story of Anna. She's 15. She's just a pretty average 15 year old. She runs cross country with her friends and she starts to develop these strange symptoms, like this weird feeling of lightness and these aches and pains. And then one day at practice, she is running and she actually passes out. And when she comes to, her friends tell her that she was floating in the air several feet above the ground, which then prompts a visit to the emergency room and a visit to a medical specialist. And she is diagnosed with a disease called lepidopsy that makes people float in the air, among other symptoms. And so we follow her as she is treated for this illness and we see the ways that that affects her life, her friendships, and really her sense of identity. And she has to figure out with this big change to her life, her physical reality and her social reality, she has to figure out what kind of person she wants to be and how she wants to live her life. No, that's a perfect summary of where we sort of start with this book. And that's really, I mean, what drew me in. Actually, I will say the first thing that drew me into this book is the cover, which is absolutely beautiful. Got to give a shout out to the cover because I think it's so (laughs) (laughs) I really love it too. I'm so happy with the illustrator we went with and just the way the whole thing came together. Authors don't always get a lot of say in that. So I feel very lucky with the cover that that we ended up with. 
Absolutely. It's beautiful. I feel like covers are just, they're getting better and better. And I love it so much. (laughs) But the other thing that really drew me into this book was this idea of a story about chronic illness, but where the illness is not one that is in our world. This is not a real disease that people have. Like you said, it's sort of both literary, but also fantastical and this really great blend. What gave you the inspiration or where did you get the idea to create a disease for Anna rather than giving her one that already exists or that might be in our world as it is? So the way I started out writing this book It was almost like a writing exercise that I gave myself. I was picking different vignettes and anecdotes from my own life, but incorporating some kind of magical, fantastical element into them just to see where that might take the story and see what kind of stories I could unlock with that. So as I did more and more of these, I noticed that a lot of them had to do with when I was 14, I developed lupus. And I think that's true for a lot of artists when we have these life-changing big experiences. We tend to gravitate toward them and make art about them. So I realized that's the direction things were going. And I thought, okay, like I'm going to create more of this. So that first draft was a big, (laughs) a big pile of all different ideas and all different kinds of things. And really in that first draft, the symptoms of the illness themselves were not that weird. All the weird stuff was kind of going on in the background, going on around the character. And so what I realized for that second draft, when I almost entirely rewrote it, was that the weirdness needed to be coming from the disease itself. And so I thought about, okay, what's a good kind of central metaphor? And I came up with the idea of floating. Because when you get a diagnosis like that, when you go from being completely healthy and then within a matter of months, your whole world is changed by these symptoms and this diagnosis, That's what happens to Anna in the book. That's what happened to me in real life. It really feels like you can't find your footing. (laughs) Your world is upside down, all of these things. So I thought that was a good metaphor to use. Yeah, absolutely. And that was actually my next question. I'd love to know a bit more about the decision. So as you said, the disease has these sort of really specific symptoms that from the title of the book, I think it's kind of like makes it a little more obvious, but um, they are symptoms associated with things like moths or butterflies, like attraction to light, like attraction to sugar, and then obviously floating. I was just wondering to go a little deeper into the metaphor, why sort of moths and butterflies um, as opposed to something else that might float or sort of why that was the, the piece that you latch onto for her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So after I thought, of the idea of floating, I thought about, okay, what are some insects or animals that kind of float or, you know, fly kind of have that appearance to them. And butterflies, you know, are very glamorous. (laughs) Everybody likes them and thinks they're beautiful and they get a lot of good press. Moths are sort of overlooked a little bit, I think. Maybe not, people don't think as highly of them, but they're really interesting and complicated and beautiful in their own way. But I thought that this sort of overlooked quality that they have would fit with how Anna feels after she gets sick. But anyway, once I settled on the idea of moths as, you know, embodying this idea of floating, I I did a little bit of research. I don't do a lot of research, but I did a little bit and, you know, looked into some of the other characteristics that moths have, like being drawn to nectar. So Anna is drawn to soda and candy and that kind of thing. And it helped me expand on that metaphor. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that also feels very relatable. I feel like a lot of chronic illnesses that we think about today, a lot of them do have like dietary elements to them where it's like 
You're not able to, you have to cut something out of your diet to help with some of the symptoms. So that all helped it feel sort of relatable in that way. And then sort of the floating was like the extra piece where it's like, well, that's (laughs) not exactly, but I think the metaphor works really, really well. Speaking of that sort of balance between our world and, and Anna's world, I think it's really powerful, the combination of the two, that we have this like fantastical disease, but the rest of Anna's world is like very contemporary and what we would think of as like, you know, quote unquote normal. I think it takes place a little bit in the past. It doesn't seem like they have like cell phones, but other than that, it's something very recognizable. The only thing that feels different is the symptoms of her disease and this and also like the sort of medical complex built around the symptoms of these diseases mm-hmm. um, which obviously I think we would have if we had people who were floating around we'd probably have right. found ways to try and help them but I was just wondering was this juxtaposition of these two you know her her disease versus the world she was living in important to you as you were crafting the story and and how did you decide on that balance yeah well I I really wanted it to feel grounded in a way because there is you know, all this made up stuff and floating. I mean, <laughs> she literally floats in the story, but the story could, you know, also float away if you, if it's not grounded in some real emotion. I mean, I think that's what the anchor for me was. I wanted the emotional part of it to feel real. That's really what I love about using these kinds of elements is that they unlock ways to talk about big feelings. And that's always what I want to use them to get at. Yeah. And I think you achieved that because it really does feel like we're getting a real look inside of her head. It really does give you this sense of uneasiness. You are able to understand how Anna is feeling because it's like, yeah, I can't imagine this would feel so otherworldly to me too if I suddenly had these symptoms that were unexplainable and different and everything else around me stays the same, but I'm changing. I think you nailed that really well with with the combination of the two. And as you mentioned too, a big inspiration for writing this story, you said it in your author's note as well, which I thought was really well written, was your own lupus diagnosis uh, in your teens. I was really curious about your experience writing a story that is both similar, but also different than your own personal journey and, and what that was what that was like for you getting inside Anna's head and it being a character, but also having these elements that are probably pretty reminiscent of your own experience. This book really evolved a lot. I started writing it in 2012 <laughs> and it went through quite a few substantial revisions before it was acquired and it went through even more substantial revisions after it was acquired. And I think with each round of revision, it got a little bit farther from my actual experience. It was a little bit easier to let go and just let it be its own thing over time. So, yeah, like I said, it it really keeps coming back to those feelings. I wanted to capture the feelings that I had back then without literally telling my own story, shaping the story in different ways, like, you know, tightening things up here in terms of maybe the timeline or, you know, that sort of thing. That makes complete sense. And I I would imagine that would be a really tricky experience. Like, how do I tell the truth of my own situation while also creating a story and a character and it being a fictionalized thing? Though I have to imagine that also kind of gives you a little bit of freedom of like, I don't have to tell exactly my story, like beat for beat what happened because it's not like a memoir. Like I'm able to mm-hmm. change things or tell things in a slightly different way that makes it maybe either easier to understand or easier to tell the story I'm trying to tell. There is something really healing about being able to change the story in some ways. So maybe if I, when I was a teenager, didn't handle things the way I wish that I had, 
maybe this character can learn something, you know, a little bit sooner than I did and maybe behave differently or maybe understand things in a different way. So letting this character go through that experience in a different way can be healing, you know, for me now. And something I really liked, though, too, is that Anna does struggle. Um, This Mm -hmm. is not an easy thing. She does not. She's not this, like, picture-perfect patient who's, like, keeping positive and being brave, whatever that might mean, um, and doing everything I'm supposed to do. You know, she's like a real person trying to deal with a really impossible situation. And there are moments she has to, like, figure things out. There are moments where she is lax about certain things. There are moments where she maybe makes a choice where you're like, no, you're so close, but don't. (laughs) You're not real friends. (laughs) Like, it's okay. You want to, like, reach through the book and be like, you're going to be okay, I promise. (laughs) High school's hard, too. She has such an honest experience of being 15 and having this crazy thing happen and having to deal with it and all the other challenges of the world. It's not definitely not easy for her in a way that I thought was really, really relatable. Yeah, that, that kind of leads me to, to to ask, like, I think it must be really incredibly tricky to write a book about illness in general and especially one that doesn't exist like there's no there's no exact guidebook for like how it's going to happen you have to come up with all of that on your own but I also have to imagine you know as someone with a chronic illness um, and who has been through something similar there must have been some sort of pressure or at least I know I would feel pressure to like get things maybe like quote-unquote right and I was wondering if there were any elements of the story that were really important for you to include. Like you said, you went through a lot of drafts. If there were any moments or discoveries for Anna that that felt really important for you to keep in like a certain way. When I was a teenager, I just didn't see stories about illness that felt real to me. I, I mean, very occasionally, like I could count on one hand the number of times I saw anything about lupus, uh, you know, between books, movies, TV, everything, (laughs) you know, maybe three times. And a lot of times chronic illnesses in the media were and still are treated like terminal illnesses, which are really a different thing. And it took me a long time to figure out how to create a story arc that wasn't going to fall into like, oh, she tragically dies at the end or, oh, you know, she heroically triumphs over her illness and it's all better and everything goes back to normal. Right. Because that's not reality, especially with a chronic illness. There are ebbs and flows and, you know, things change over time. So writing the story and really focusing on her friendships and her identity and letting that be the arc of the story. um, It took me a long time to figure out (laughs) how to do that and figure out what that needed to be. But, you know, the thing that was most important for me to include was just that realistic depiction of life with a chronic illness that didn't fall into these other kinds of tropes. Yeah, it's funny because I read that in the press material that they sent along about the fact that this was a story with illness where it's not terminal or miraculous recovery. And I sort of read that and it was like in my head and then I was reading the book, surprised by my own unconscious expectation for that resolution. Like, even though I knew, like I had explicit warning as I was getting ready to read the book that that was not going to happen. I still, for some reason, was like, they're going to find a cure at the end. Like, that's what's going to happen, right? Because that's how every story of anyone who gets capital S sick in a movie. I think you you talk about it in the, there's a line in the book too where it's like, they're watching a movie and she's like, 
someone coughs about like a third of the way through. And so of course they die by the end of it. And it's like, yeah, but it's wild. Like that is genuinely what like stories in our world have taught us to expect. And it did make me curious as someone who has now written a book like this and also has had similar experiences, is there any advice you would have for people looking to tell the stories of people with illnesses or even just like any trends you're hoping to see more of in in similar books or similar stories being told sort of moving forward? I hope it's not a trend. I hope it's just moving in the right direction. But I am seeing a lot more representation of serious illnesses, chronic illnesses, disabilities by people who have them. There's a lot of great stuff coming out this year. And that is so encouraging to me because, like I said, I didn't see stories like that when I was a teenager, which is why I was so excited to write this book. You know, I think like anytime you're representing any group outside of yourself, especially as a main character, you need to ask yourself, like, why am I the person to tell this story? I really like the own voices representation because I know that people are drawing from their own experience and I have a lot of faith in that to be authentic so that the world needs more of that because people have not had a chance to tell their own stories. I think too, especially with illness, it can be a tricky thing too of like, it's not something that's obvious from the outside always. And I think that's been a really powerful tool with stories lately too of because books do give us this, fantastic like experience of being in someone's head having the opportunity to like see the inner thoughts of someone who's going through something that you would not know if you were just like looking at them or watching them from a distance or even maybe we're friends with them and i think that's so important because the stories that we see in the media in books movies etc like that really reinforces the kind of stories we tell in real life about people and to people And I certainly experienced, you used the B word before, brave, (laughs) which, you know, when I was 14, 15, 16 years old, people would say, oh, you're so brave. And I thought, I don't feel brave. I'm just living my life, you know, the best I can with this thing that's happening to me. And there wasn't necessarily a lot of curiosity about my point of view of what I was going through. So in some ways, this book is my attempt to reclaim my own story. That's why it's so important for people to be able to tell their own stories is because, like, you don't know from the outside what that's like. Absolutely. And I think you have a line or two in the book, too, about that, where it's like, not being brave. What's my other option if I'm not, like, brave? Like, (laughs) like, this is this is what I can do. Like, I can't. There's no, like, other end of the spectrum where you'd be like, "Mm, you're not being brave enough. Like, what does that even mean? It's not a compliment either. I mean, it always felt very distancing to me. And, like, I usually got it from adults, not necessarily peers back in the day. But it always felt like, oh, you're a special kind of person that this bad thing happened to. Something like that could never happen to me. That always seemed to be what the impulse was to tell those kinds of, you know, stories about what was happening to me and no anybody can become disabled <laughs> that's you know one of the most fluid categories of identity that there is pushing people away is actually what that feels like it's, it's not it's not a compliment to say like oh you're so brave yeah it's like they're creating your narrative for themselves it's like this is exactly. what i'm gonna think about when i think about this person or what this person is going through and it's like 
I don't think you get to decide that. <laughs> or at yeah, least don't just put that on me. Like, <laughs> right. Let's let sick and disabled people be the main character of their own stories. Absolutely. And now that we've said that, one thing I did want to talk about was the friendships in this book, mm-hmm. because I think you did such a good job of showing like several different kinds of friendships that kind of builds their way around a situation like this. You know, you do have, you do have the friend who's like, you're so brave and we're going to find a miraculous cure. And it's like, that's not super helpful. And then you also have the friend who's maybe use it like, oh, this is so dark and twisted. And like, we can use this as like creative energy or something. That's like, maybe not the most helpful either. Um, (laughs) But you can kind of see where both of them are coming from. Um, There's a lot Mm -hmm. of humanity to all of the, all of her friends. And then you also do have this, fantastic secondary character of Pam who also has the illness and is going through different symptoms and has a different story, you know, that she could tell, but also is a part of Anna's story and is giving her a lot of sort of connection in that way too. Cause I have to imagine kids reading this book, if they don't relate to Anna, there's probably a good chance that they know someone in their life who might be struggling in this way or might having a diagnosis similar. Mm-hmm. I was wondering if you had any sort of advice for readers on the thing takeaway of how best to support people that they love who might be going through this or or sort of what you might want them to see or or to get out of um, these characters that you felt? Yeah, that's a really good question. And I think like some of the best advice I have for any kind of relationship, but especially this kind is, you know, listen to the person, ask what they need, um, let them tell you. Don't assume that you know how to help them. Unsolicited advice is something that (laughs) anybody who has a chronic illness can probably tell you a whole lot about. People's intentions are good. They just want to help. But like, yes, we've tried yoga. Yes, we've tried, you know, whatever diet you're peddling. I don't know. (laughs) I think if you're a friend of another teenager who is going through something like this, like they need to know that you're there for them. They need to know that you'll listen that you're not going to shy away from them if they are going through it and really having a difficult time. And I think also they need to just be a, feel like a normal kid sometimes and like do kid stuff, like do teenage stuff. So, you know, being that kind of friend, just like, you know, maybe pacing yourself to what their energy level can handle or their accessibility needs can handle, but just finding ways to have fun with them too is, is really important. Like that's not to be, it's not to be diminished either. Yeah, I think that was something that was really powerful in the story that I definitely hadn't thought about. Just the simple act of like when the friends walked faster than Anna was able to walk, like she just like genuinely could not keep up with them. And if they just slowed down a little bit, it could have she would have felt a lot more included in that moment. It really is these like micro moments that have so much mm-hmm. of an effect. And also there are moments where Anna can't explain what she needs and she doesn't Mm -hmm. know exactly what she needs, but that she really does need people who can listen when she's ready. And I thought all of that was, was really powerful advice for really anyone (laughs) struggling with anything. (laughs) I mean, we all, we all need people. Yeah. But that is a really important point because like I said, you want to listen to people, but also you don't want to pester them (laughs) to talk to you if they don't feel like talking. So just letting them know that I'm here for you. If and when you want to talk to me, I support you. And just backing off a little bit at that point, too. (laughs) 
I was really curious too, because another piece of this book is the time Anna spends in the doctor's office and with the support group and with Pam and other kids who have not the same, but similar diseases. I was wondering, including that part and having it be such a large part of, I think, the narrative of, of Anna's diagnosis and as she was going through this, she spends, she goes at least once a week, but then every time there's a flare up, there's also visits and, and kind of also the like monotony of the same checkup every time, um, sort of all of that stuff really painted such a vivid picture of how this changes your life in like, you're going to this new place and it suddenly becomes very familiar for reasons you maybe don't want it to. I was wondering if that sort of stemmed from your own experience and the decision to to include as much about sort of the medical, like the doctor's office as this like primary set for this story, sort of how you made the decision to include that. Yeah, it absolutely was drawn from real experience. I, I used to have weekly checkups, <laughs> you know, driving into the city, like, 45 minute drive after work every Wednesday. Yeah, it does become this weirdly mundane thing that you're doing over and over and over again. And with the support group, I think that was really important to show Anna sort of dealing with her own internalized ableism and the way that she looks at these other kids who are going through really a similar thing as her, but she sees them as the sick kids and I'm not like that. So she has to realize like, no, that <laughs> I, I'm literally in the same position as them. We are all going through this. And when she's able to kind of break down some of those, you know, preconceived notions in her mind and let some of them in a little bit more, that's a really valuable thing for her. Absolutely. And it's funny you say that because I realized like I didn't even totally realize that because the way she's thinking is so internalized to how I think we all kind of think about things like that, where it's like, yeah, that makes total sense. And it's like, it really is. There's so much internal ableism when we see someone who we either know is struggling with something or uh, like can outwardly see, you sort of do have that internal, like almost gut reflex where it's like separate somehow. And yeah. I mean, like I said, these stories in the media, stories in the real world about illness, they just reinforce each other. And that's why you have to have like authentic representation in there to break that cycle, because there is so much ableism in the world and it gets fueled by these untrue stories that get told. How can you not internalize that as part of just being part of this culture? So it was important for me to examine that, you know, had to have Anna examine that. Even if she doesn't know the word ableism necessarily, I don't think I use it in the book, but just experiencing that shift in her thinking. I think it's really powerful when she does. There's a moment where like a new person joins the group and you can tell that she is having those moments of like, oh, I'm not the new, like, I am now part of this group. This is where I am. And and also what she experiences with Pam, I think, is all really powerful to sort of start to wrap things up a little bit. I was curious and and wanted to ask if you because I I do honestly think a lot of people are going to read this and see themselves in Anna in many different ways and I think that's kind of the beauty of the fact that this is not a specific disease that exists Mm -hmm. but it's one that I think everyone can find something to relate to I was just wondering if you had anything you wanted readers who might be going through a similar experience that you went through or that Anna goes through in the book to take away from your book and from your writing this is so much about telling my own story. I keep coming back to this theme because I do think it's so important. 
when I was a teenager, the things that really helped me were music and, you know, singing and, and all that and like doing art and drama and all these creative ex- ways of expressing myself. It wasn't necessarily easy for me to talk directly about my feelings at that point, but just finding other outlets. And I think that is so important to find ways to tell your own story, whether it's through directly doing that or drawing or sculpture or (laughs) whatever, whatever makes sense for you, whatever feels good for you and brings you joy because you need to have that in your life. That's a really good, I think that's such a good piece of advice for anybody. I think we all have stories that like, it's good yeah. to find a way to let out. But no, I think, I think that's perfect. And then I like to ask wrapping up, do you know what's coming up next for you? Are we going to get any more books that you know about yet or anything you can talk about? And no one can ever talk about anything. I don't know why I keep asking. People are always like, I do, but I can't tell you. And I'm like, all right, but I'll give it a go anyway. Yeah, I actually don't have any secret news at this point. (laughs) I'm in a weird lull between bits of secret news. No, I'm working on my next book, which I think is going to be an adult book, although it does have like one storyline with mostly teenagers in it. We'll see. That one, again, it combines like a real world setting with some supernatural element. There's a murder in a small town, but things are not as they seem, that kind of thing. And I do, I write short stories as well. So I'm hoping at some point to have a collection together, some of those. And yeah. That's perfect. That sounds really good. I really want to read that now. I love the like <laughs> small town, thought it was normal, but well, hey, vampires. Like, <laughs> I'm really, I'm a big sucker for that stuff. So I will be waiting for whatever's okay. coming next. And where can our listeners find out more information about you and your books on, on the internet? <laughs> um, you can find me at heathercannons.com. And I'm on Twitter and a little bit more on Instagram. And my handle is Shakier Anthem. That's perfect. Thank you so much for being on here with us today, Heather. It was so much fun to get to talk to you. And I can't wait for everyone to check out this book. It's amazing, and I'm just so glad I got the chance to read it and to ask you all about it. Thank you so much. It was so great to talk with you, too. Absolutely. And thanks to all of you for listening. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter. We are at BookmarkedYA. You can also follow Bookstacked on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And if you liked the show, don't forget to leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts and subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. You can follow me on Instagram. I'm at Bookmark. I hope you all enjoyed the show, and we will see you next time. Bye-bye.